0: So I need to ask you a question. And unfortunately, I know that it's not always polite to kind of like compare people in society, but I need to do it for this. That's tantalizing. Yes. I need you to help me decide whose opening meat book has a more traumatic boat ride. Kirsten Larson, 1854 (laughs) or Caroline Abbott, 1812.
1: Oof. That's a tough one. And I hate to kind of like engage this comparison. Like, you know, I feel like if Kirsten was here, she'd want to be removed from this narrative, a la Taylor Swift, her doppelganger in some ways. But I mean, it's like the Marta of it all. Like, don't you
0: think it's Kirsten? I think it's Kirsten, but I think by the end of this episode, if you're not familiar with Caroline, we will have made a very compelling case, or I should say you will be impressed. (laughs)
1: Welcome, everyone, to American Girls, the podcast. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book. I'm Mary.
0: I'm still Allison.
1: Wow. Allison, we gathered together today to discuss Meet Caroline from the War of 1812 era, which is kind of a shock to me that we're dropping down into this time. Like, this would not have been something that, you know, sometimes we all. Dream Like what historical moment in American history would you want to like create an American girl in? I don't know that anyone's ever responded to our poll with War of 1812 lights me up inside. But again, I'm prepared to be wrong about that.
0: So as I was reading this book, and we are going to give you I think a little bit more background than usual, because Caroline might be a new person to a lot more of you than some of the other folks that we've covered When Mattel was getting ready for the year 2012, you know, they were thinking, we understand that there are a lot of children out there whose parents are deployed. We understand that, you know, we're in the middle of a movement to, you know, end or at least change Wall Street. And they're like, we're not going to touch the Louisiana Purchase. We're not going to touch a lot of different things. Napoleonic Wars is too big. A ship battle in the War of 1812 is just right just right. I'm kind of
1: shocked in light of that context that they didn't go for a Titanic story in light of how popular Samantha is. And also like, if you wanted to see rich people be taken low, literally like the Titanic would do that for you and, you know, majority non-rich people. So maybe that was, you know, tough. I mean, I'm still not over the Titanic, but this is certainly feels like a left field choice. It
0: is. But what's interesting is it's pretty well known. in I would say like the reenacting communities or historian communities that the place that we now call Canada made a much bigger deal out of the war of 1812 for a variety of reasons that we'll get into. But for some reason in Middleton, Wisconsin, there was a group of folks who sat around a table and they said, no more. Mattel (laughs) is taking this on. I also think genuinely, I think we have lived through different commemorative moments. I think people who came of age with the kind of big bicentennial of 1976 really tried to make 2012 happen. I
1: believe that. And it's interesting, like talking to my parents about like the bicentennial and so on, like my mom grew up in a town where everyone had to wear that garb for an entire week and live by certain colonial, air quotes, colonial rules. And so I feel like to her generation, like this makes a lot more sense. And also like we went to college and had a professor who was obsessed with the war of 1812 And particularly the Hartford convention, which like may or may not be one of the greatest things Hartford is known for question mark. And I just want to bring to this episode into these books, like my intention coming into this, I was reflecting back like, okay, who are the heroes in my life who have taught me about the war of 1812? And I came back to, you know, a local historian conference that you and I were a part of, and there was a woman organizer there who I won't name for her own protection, who pretty much acted out what she called the Battle of Stonington, including a grandmother having a cannonball like come through her bedroom wall and, you know, take her life. That changed me. That's sat with me.
0: I'm still with that. Here's the thing. We are not historians of the War of 1812. And after what I'll say, you know, was kind of, kind of a strangely timed tweet on my end sent a little bit out of nowhere. I think we can get there. I think it's going to take at least six books, if not the full nine that are part of the Caroline universe to get there. You don't need to know a lot about Caroline or the War of 1812 to go on this journey with us. But I think you do have to be willing to ask questions such as, why is Aiden Quinn so obviously the model for her dad? Wow. That's a Now I have to go back to his image. That's
1: that's tantalizing. And where is Aiden Quinn today? Oh, that's interesting.
0: Hmm. He's in this book.
1: Yeah, he's living there. Also, Mama looks like, what's her name? Stephanie from SVU.
0: Stephanie March. I, I think I was reflecting on this, again, in preparation for this episode, I will say I do have five pages, five pages of single space notes. I felt Uh-oh. very keenly like I needed to come in this. So, like part of the story that we are entering into is the shock, right, of this war that is waged between what they call the young United States and Great Britain. And I was like, I'm not gonna have a curveball or a cannonball thrown at me. Like I don't want to feel. The shock like that Caroline feels. No, wow. should, I, should I do a summary? Are we there? I think we should just dive right in. Let's do it. Okay.
1: Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes Only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hey everyone, this is Mary here to talk to you again about a special offer from HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. We all know that fall is busy, but HelloFresh recipes help you save time you'd otherwise spend meal planning, shopping, and chopping question mark so you can get back to what matters. And I'm really feeling that it's back to school season. I'm starting this week, in fact. And so having something like HelloFresh is such a huge help. When both my wife and I are commuting back and forth, it's nice at the end of the day to both make something that's fresh and tasty, but also doesn't take a long time. Anna and I love to make different items from HelloFresh. I would never turn down a cinnamon bun. And this fall, they have a pumpkin cinnamon bun that i'm really going to get into and it's really nice at the end of the day to just kind of transition away from work time by spending some time cooking with a partner or a friend or just by yourself maybe listening to a podcast i wonder which one and you know making something for yourself that tastes good go to hellofresh.com slash americangirls14 and use code americangirls14 for up to 14 free meals including free shipping Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash AmericanGirls14 and use code AmericanGirls14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping.
0: Meet Caroline is the first in the series by Kathleen Ernst. Caroline Abbott is doing what she loves most, sailing on Lake Ontario with Papa when her world turns upside down. A British officer boards their sloop, announces that Britain and America are at war, and takes her father prisoner. As Papa is led away, Caroline promises him that she will stay strong and steady until he returns. There's a lot of ship metaphors, and like if you don't know like fancy words like sloop, it's okay. We're, we're all on this course together. She tries hard to keep her promise by helping Mama run the family's shipyard. Then the British attack her village, and it looks as if the American side is in trouble. Can Caroline stay steady enough to help win the day? Is Caroline actually a ship? No, she's a 10-year-old girl, but we'll talk about that.
1: There's like so much in this book, honestly. This, was, this is, I think, a very excellent book one of a series.
0: I would argue it's one of the more interesting meat books that we've read. And I think something that I've kind of observed in us going back through not just the different historical periods these girls are situated in, but the different kind of lessons that the authors learned or passed on along the way. I think the later book ones, so like kind of post-1997, post Hosafina have a lot more drama packed in, like they're not going to wait until book six to really shock you with a rescue or a heroic moment. And Caroline being a hero is really kind of the hook that Mattel went with. So they actually had a hero contest where girls could kind of talk about their story in relationship to Caroline. And in their press release that they put out, um, they say that kind of her purpose is that she quote shows girls today how to stay steady and believe in themselves during difficult times what i take from the summary and the press release is i don't know if ship girls like horse girls are a thing but if you are a thing i want you to tell us and i want you to kind of help us work through the maritime language that's really saturated in this book
1: Yeah. There's a lot going on here. This actually reminded me this whole book and the premise of it of um, my favorite book of all time is Persuasion by Jane Austen. And the 1995 adaptation imagines a scene at the end of the book where the main character, Anne Elliot, goes off with Captain Wentworth after they're presumably married and kind of joins him on his naval adventures, which is not in the book. But in the book, there's a lot of scenes where women are like you know, at the dinner table with the Naval list, like asking, quizzing the men in their lives who are in the Navy, like, were you in this ship? Like, were you in that battle? Tell me stories of your life. And there's one woman who actually has been traveling on a ship with her husband, the Admiral for seemingly their whole marriage. But like in this imagination, like ships become a place where you can have more freedom as a woman in this time than you can on land, or at least like, that's what I take from it.
0: So, we almost get right away that Caroline is plucky. She's very much, I think, pulled from the same kind of felicity playbook in certain ways. Like, there's a lot of overlap I see with both Molly in terms of kind of like the war context and the different ways that she relates to um, who I'm going to call a hero, but Mrs. Shaw is called a neighbor who finds fault with Caroline. And I just think Shaw is kind of a strong woman and we'll get into her, but she definitely has vibes of like, she would force her to eat turnip. If you catch my meaning, Uh. um, but we get like this really kind of interesting cast of characters and we kind of meet different folks. But again, very much like Felicity vibes. We have Seth, who's like a local kind of interesting, charismatic young man. He seems to have a job, but he also seems to just kind of be like flirting with townsfolk. And we learn that Caroline is like not great at the domestic arts. And that is neither an inherently good or bad thing but part of her beef with Shaw is that she burned some bread which like I think we've all been there but part of what we're meant to learn is that she wants to be you know the head of her own ship and there's also obviously a metaphor there right like she wants to kind of like chart her own course she wants to be in charge of her own life and I think kind of where we're gonna go over the six books is like how how real is that for her
1: yeah, and I think it's interesting to see her in the opening portraits between her mother and father, and to to read their brief descriptions, the mothers described Caroline's mother, a firm but understanding woman, the fathers described Caroline's father, a fine shipbuilder who owns Abbott's shipyard, And to me, it's striking that she's literally between them and the mother is described by her characteristics or her personality. And the father's described by what he does professionally in the world. And so I think putting her literally between them, which is just typical of how the series is formatted is actually sort of instructive or metaphorical here, because, you know, as you said, like she was taught by grandma to make bread and that didn't go well. And Mrs. Shaw, like won't let her forget it. But I think like she wants to chart her own course and be on the water in some ways, because you know, maybe she's not like she doesn't fit the mold of what a refined lady is supposed to be, or she finds herself bumping up against those requirements. But you also, what I like about the book is it's not like she's super has like super powers at being a captain in training. Like when we first meet her on the boat, she's actually kind of like messing around and focusing on her toy and ends up falling and kind of almost getting hurt or like scraping a knee because they're, the sail is shifting. And she loses her balance and her dad scolds her for it. So it's not like, I like that her characterization is very like, she's not a superhero either.
0: No, and she's just having fun. So she's in a situation that does turn very serious, really very quickly. And I think it's one of the more interesting depictions of actual historical events and context that we've come across. And I think what's really brilliant about it is, it doesn't feel clumsy. We are really kind of immersed with her on this deck and we're experiencing this moment where she's kind of playing around with Oliver and they're kind of teasing each other. And Oliver is this young man who really, by virtue of just being a young white man of privilege, like has more kind of more power than her already, despite the fact that both she and her mother seem to really know a lot about ships and shipbuilding. And Caroline is basically trying to say like, I need you to run errands for me. She's like, by the way, like, I kind of need some stuff from you. And we learn that she has this kind of um, mischievous smile. And she asks Oliver if while he's out in the world, because essentially this is um, a ship that's going out to do trade, to be part of this, like, larger cargo network. And so he says uh, in response to one of her comments I will happily carry mail and take passengers, but surely you cannot expect me to shop for embroidery silk. And I like this because it's pulled very much from this kind of Ben Felicity playbook where there is this playfulness there, but there's also this really shrewd way of showing us gendered lines, right? like where he's kind of willing to put up a line. And I like also the early, early insight that we get into Caroline's parents. As you say, like we learn very quickly that her imagining herself as the head of a ship or if I don't use maritime language correctly, Please tell me. But I think what's interesting is we learned that the mother was very much a business partner. Like she wasn't just someone who fell in love with Mr. Abbott. Like they shared this passion together. And that also explains why Caroline is kind of playing about on the ship and not home.
1: Yeah, that she's actually was his bookkeeper and is returning to that, as we'll see. Um, Something I like too about that scene that you read before about Caroline with her brother is that um, after that scene, he starts giving orders because the winds are shifting and they have to control the sails. and her cousin slash friend, which I also think is an interesting description that we get Lydia as cousin slash friend, um, says he's trying to sound like your father. And one day Caroline thought I shall be the one giving those commands. And I love that we kind of get her interior life or her thoughts and that she doesn't, as you would, if you're talking to yourself in an interior monologue, there's no, Kind attempt to mediate what she's saying. She's totally confident and just saying, this is what I want. And I think that's really awesome.
0: Yeah. We also get some insight into kind of the danger that they're in. And we don't know exactly what's going to happen uh, to Papa and to Oliver by the end of this chapter, but we do have her father kind of saying like, what are you thinking? Right. And I, I think part of what is Immersive and compelling about Caroline's book is you really feel like you're on the ship. You feel like you are having this experience of kind of feeling the wind in your hair and having fun, but how very quickly that changes for everyone, right? Like that there is actually always this very present danger of drowning or something happening to what's really the family's lifeblood. Yeah.
1: And I, I thought that scene was tough. Like when he kind of scolds her, you know, that, you know, he was trying to keep her safe, but you can see how it's not safe, but dramatically what it does, once you get a little further and the British approach is like, oh, it actually fakes you out that that's going to be the drama of this scene that maybe she's going to fall overboard or something's going to happen. And that actually gets resolved pretty easily. Like even the father, isn't that upset with her for long. And in fact, their moment of reunion is that he welcomes her to help steer um, the ship or the boat, I guess. I know it's a matter of size, what determines what word you use, I guess. I don't know. Again, I'm showing that my knowledge from maritime history is having read Persuasion many times, gone to Mystic Seaport and seen many episodes of The Love Boat. And so I'm open to being corrected on you know those being my sources. But I love this scene, but it's kind of interesting too, when she basically saying like, I want you to build me a ship someday. And what he says in response is, I can't say yes or no today. I'd be a poor father indeed if I made a promise I wasn't sure I should keep. I didn't go into business with Oliver until he would proved himself capable of it. And he's 10 years older than you. Do you understand? And that's sort of an interesting moment where it's kind of like, is that 2012 speaking?
0: Yeah, I think so. But I also think it's very telling that in his actions, he's teaching her how to make a very specific kind of knot. And then they go into kind of like a storytelling moment. But when things have calmed with the weather, which they thought was going to change out of their favor, when the top thing is sort of resolved, he is actually teaching her skills. And I I think part of what is really smart about this book, like thinking about all that we've read together the war, as we'll kind of get into, is not really this like ideologically charged moment. I, I know that there are ideologies at play, but this is ultimately an issue about imperial dominance, trade, and who controls certain routes. And I really like that we're taken into this kind of granular moment where he's treating her as he would treat a sailor and thinking about all the ways that ships are not like life on land. Right. Like she has this sense that things could be different for her and she has these different role models. We learned that her grandmother had to live through the revolution, and she references that a few times, and we learn also about the neighbor. And I think what's really compelling is, like, life has changed a lot in Caroline's 10 or so years, but there's these kind of hints that life has already changed many times over, right? Like, mm. she is really kind of one of those inheritors of the revolution and her father kind of scoffs right like that you're a girl and and maybe not but then teaches her the skill
1: yeah that's what i thought was interesting was like his knowledge seems to be based so much on experience and not like presume gender difference where i kind of think if this was actually 1812 he would be like yeah you're you're a girl no way or like yeah you have great instincts and you know a lot because i've taught you and it's probably never going to happen so I do think that is a little bit of 2012 coming in where the door is open for her and I'm not mad at it. Like, I love that. Um, I love that about this book and this scene. I also, the not, the knot tying was like triggering for me because I had to do that in school and I could never
0: figure it out. No, I, I can't really say that that's a strength for me either, but I think also again, we're just having all these little moments in the first chapter or so where we truly don't see what's coming. And and I really think that that's very smart because there were so many different ways in which like people were talking let's say like in the early 1860s like this kind of fear of civil eruption this fear of war and not that any one person could say that they knew exactly what was coming but by this point people in the United States have been watching these different conflicts between world powers and they've had this awareness that the British might impress people from their trips But when her father and her brother are actually accosted by British people who come on the ship, it's a surprise. Like you really don't see it coming. And I think that was very smart. And we learned the way that a kind of ordinary person would have at the time that, oh, you know, Mr. Madison, President Madison has declared war. And it doesn't feel the same, I think, as like the McIntyres would have turned on a radio and received that information as roughly the same time as many people, this just kind of feels like we were on a boat and then we weren't.
1: Yeah. But I also, I kept trying to think like, in what ways is this different or not than what Felicity would have experienced when the war actually started for her. And, you know, in her books, it felt very local. Like there was things like social encounters in her town, like Miss Mannerly serving tea and having to say, you know, I shall have no more tea. And, You know, all of these moments where we're with her, when there's no conflict, there's no military element. It's really just interactions between people she's known that manifest this brewing, pun intended, revolution. And now Felicity would have been 40 something at this point. Would she have felt the coming of this war differently? Would there have been social signs in her town between the Federalists and the Republicans or whatever is going on?
0: I think there had to be some very significant fatigue at this point for, you know, what people now call the Napoleonic Wars, but people basically watching over and over as different world powers try to buy for dominance, right, and kind of all of these different moments and I like that this is taken down to a family level because when you learn about the War of 1812, and I was looking up some basic chronologies today, so much of it is about the ships. Right. Like so much of it is about a series of events that happen between political leaders and ships. And of course, there's a much bigger context. Right. There are these different powers that are trying to really kind of like resolve issues that go back to the American Revolution and even much longer before that. But in this case, like the crisis is about Caroline and her family and their kind of dual position as people who now have, in her case, a father and a brother who are taken off the ship and they don't know what's going to happen to them. And the fact that they own this pretty important business in a shipyard that now takes on this kind of new strategic importance. So I think that was like a really brilliant point of view and also making every member of the family have a lot of knowledge, right? Like they all bring something
1: they'll bring something. And I thought like as a reading experience, this was also pretty well done. If you're thinking about nine or 10 year old girls or boys reading this, that, you know, they would have in their lifetime only known the United States at war and often not likely not known why we were in any of these wars. So I actually thought that it spoke to them where they were at, that this book does not leave you with a firm, you know, sixty-second soundbite, what caused the war of 1812? You leave this book and you're like, not sure something with great Britain or something with England, not really sure relates to the American revolution. I know grandpa died in the revolution. Again, I don't really know what's like, let us here. um, dad and the brother were taken off the boat. You know, I was trying to read it from that perspective. Like, could I just learn from this book, what caused this war? And I can't. All I know is that it's already affected what I'm calling my family.
0: So you're in the true.
1: I'm in this with them. I'm with them. I love grandma. Listen, a man died, Allison. A man died in the revolution. We didn't get word at like, where was grandpa killed? Did he die from disease? Like, where did he, where did we lose grandpa
0: in the revolution? Page 33. One of the best lines of this book. 30 years ago, British soldiers killed my father. (laughs) I like that Mrs. Abbott is ready to make the stakes very clear. And I'm just going to say this, like if I had to choose between Paul Revere or any member of this family, I'm picking this entire family like every time. Oh, Oh, my God. That's not even a question. Yes, of course. Like there's almost, I don't want to say playful, but I think the author is kind of like playing with us as readers who have knowledge that these people don't, although they, they may have been aware of kind of revere mythology by this point. But there's kind of a moment where it's like the British are coming or the British are here. And I, I really love the way that those kind of fraught historical moments are intermeshed with lines like what you did is not fair. Because I think that's also picking up on those more kind of universal themes of fairness and unfairness. And I think letting just the right amount of 2012 slip in, right? Like Caroline would make a heck of a friendship bracelet and she would for you.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know what her birth date is, but I know, but I'm not going to say, okay, well, I mean, she seems like a very like loyal person, but also independent and also holds a grudge like Mrs. Shaw's, you know, <laughs> taken a lot, but also seems to have given a lot. But I also love that Caroline's like, yeah, my dad, I just found out my dad, my dad was arrested right in front of me with my brother. He's going to be in prison for truly no, no idea how long grandma has already dropped a guilt bomb and been like, oh my God, we could all be out on the street. Like how is this biz family business going to continue? Cut to Caroline, excuse me, the expensive rug that was going to be delivered today. Mom, is that still happening? Mom, I still want my rug. Dad's in jail. I understand. I want my rug. It's going to pull the room together. If
0: you know what I mean, Caroline, amazing Lebowski reference. Caroline is going to max out the family credit at every opportunity. I'm shocked. We're not already in (laughs) court with this, with this vibe. I also love the way the family kind of balances. Like there's a lot going on right like if this family had a fridge and they had like a family calendar it would be like father and brother taken by British soldiers expectation of Caroline's rug need to assist with a very like literal rapid fire cannonball situation and then you know that grandma is like I'm putting grandpa's birthday on the calendar because I didn't forget and everyone's like yeah grandma Ah, we know and she's like Coming She's back like, to it. never
1: forget. Uh-uh. No. I also think like comparing it to like grandma to Paul Revere is instructive because this is a man who creates an engraving about the Boston Massacre that was completely like what we would now call fake news. Although I don't want to use that phrase because it's too fraught at this time. I'll just say misinformation. Whereas grandma's like, look, I'm not going to paint you a picture. I don't have to tell you a story. She was like, here's what I'm going to drop on you right now. And it's something you already know. Grandpa's dead okay? The British killed my husband. Period.
0: She comes right out with it. There is nothing the British won't dare. Caroline knew grandmother was thinking about her husband, who had died fighting for America's independence during the Revolutionary War. She continues "The grandmother, I will not allow British soldiers to imprison my husband and nephew now.
1: This woman doesn't need a reason. She's like, listen, I'm a bookkeeper by day, by trade. I've put those skills away. My dad's dead. My husband's in jail. I don't need a reason.
0: So is Oliver a cousin or a brother?
1: I believe, is it her cousin? Hold on a second.
0: He may be a cousin. Breaking news. Did I say brother? You had me convinced he was a brother. Listen, I think it was a brotherly vibe.
1: I think they have a sibling-like energy, but I do think he's (laughs) actually a cousin. So I'm wrong about that. My bad. Well, Lydia is a cousin. Um... Yeah, that's true. It's weird that Lydia's introduces like cousin slash friend and Oliver just like, he owns this boat now. Mm-hmm-hmm. Yes. No, it's, oh, it's Lydia's older brother. Got it. That's where I got confused. My bad.
0: I think the brother energy is so strong that I really like, I stand by what we said. Cause you completely convinced me that he was okay, a brother. You.
1: I think I've done this before on this show and I didn't even catch myself till later while editing. And then I was like, oops, my bad.
0: Here's the thing. Is Oliver going to show up with
1: embroidery, silk, and lace or not? He better. That's all or I am going to say. Mm-hmm. Although, do these ladies need it? I'm just looking at the illustration on page 39. And these women, now, like, I don't want to get into the history of hygiene and cleanliness and what was possible in 1812. These ladies look like they just got a fresh, mom looks like she just got a fresh blowout, put this yeah. up in sort of like a prairie bun The daughter, like, Caroline looks amazing. She looks like she's got some, like, curls happening. Grandma's wearing a bonnet because, like, that's her journey. And, like, but she still looks great. I don't know what I'm looking at, but I don't think they this things would have been this, like, fresh and bright in 1812.
0: What I find really striking is there is a move that feels very deliberate around the Be Forever era from Felicity looks like a cartoon. Felicity yeah. looks like a girl who is imagined. I don't, I don't want to say just out of the ether, but the same thing happens with dear America covers where they stop just kind of creating some kind of visual and they copy an actual girl. Hmm. And we know that some of these characters are indeed based on real people. If you're the model for Kit or this book, call us.
1: Oh my God. We'll just put that
0: out there, but. There is a very, like I kind of joked about Aiden Quinn, but these look very much like real people as opposed to Felicity is not based on a singular person. And and to me, it shows.
1: Yes, that's true. Whereas the mom in these books, like this is a real person. I agree. Like also Caroline and grandma, like this illustration just really stunned me because the lighting in it is interesting and everyone looks like camera ready, the mom looks like Stephanie March. Am I crazy? Like this is oh. where she went when she was under, when she, when she was kidnapped on SVU and was off the show for many years. This is she where was she was, was modeling book. Yeah.
0: We learn kind of, I think there's like these interesting lines that are end up kind of like playing off of each other, which is sort of like where the mom needs to be in this moment of crisis. And much like how there was a pretty contrived conversation about Molly's mother needing to really kind of do a certain kind of war work. We have these different lines where Caroline is reminded, quote, a daughter's place is in the home, page 41. And then there is later this comment Your mama's place is at the shipyard, page 66. And I think those are so interesting because like the language is obviously meant to kind of ripple or, you know, play off of each other and just how powerful it would have been for Caroline to hear like that her mother has this very specific role and the way that her mother almost immediately steps up in or back into that role with someone like Hosea, who really almost immediately worries that he will not have employment that like, he will not have a place. And I think again, compared to some of the other books, like he is a free black man who is working in this shipyard. And I think on like other books where maybe Race wasn't necessarily dealt with, or it felt like characters were just sort of added. We learn about Hosea because of his skill. Like, we learn about him in a very deliberate way that, like, he is the person who needs to be here for a certain set of skills. But I did feel almost like there was a hint that there's a lot of stake here for him, and it's different.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I almost kind of wonder if something that's like haunting all of these books is sort of like, what are the stakes of the American Revolution? Like, what is the status of the American Revolution? What were the ramifications of it? Did it succeed? What is it? Do we like the way the world looks like now? Like, is it going to last? Did it work? You know, there was someone who gave a sermon at the Hartford Convention, like not to bring this up yet again. Like, I hate that that's one of the things that we're known for in Connecticut. However, And one of the Federalist ministers who gave a sermon there said, already we are a fallen nation. So he takes the War of 1812, like it's coming and the war as it's happening as like proof that it's over. He was basically like time of death, 1812, we're done. But as you're saying, like with Hosea's characterization and the mother and daughter paired together, to me like that, you could ring that and be like, that's success. Like, look how it's worked out for them, that they have this mobility even if it's just in moments of crisis, like for the mother to go back to work, so to speak. Um, But as you're saying, it it also increases the stakes for it to last, for them to maintain this revolution.
0: I was reading some almost comically different representations of, you know, exactly what they're working toward, which is what is the state of the United States in terms of having like a naval fleet or a naval force at this time, what is really the capacity of the people who live in these areas to actually fight a fight? And depending on whose vantage point you read this from, like the USS Constitution Museum, like they come out hard and they're like, this is like a woefully inadequate defense and offense. Like things things are not really looking very promising at the very beginning, but I think it is a somewhat neutral thing to say that taking on the British Navy or taking on any kind of like major component of what the British have to offer, like remains audacious, even all these years after the American revolution, like they're in worse shape almost.
1: Yeah. I mean, this feels like not brave. It just feels stupid at at a certain point that they take this on and you know, something that was a challenge in John Adams presidency was that he took on the quasi war with France or he was trying to like avoid major wars. What should I not be
0: talking about the quasi war with France? No, I just feel like I've never felt more like when I was making my AP U S history flashcards where I was like X, Y, Z affair, quasi war embargo acts, Napoleonic wars, old iron sides. Like it's all kind of here. (laughs) And I think like I think they had to make Caroline look like a missing sister of DJ Tanner to lure certain people in because War of 1812 does not have the cachet that Canadians and other people want it to have. And if you're Canadian, like that's not hate. That's just a fact.
1: Like is the War of 1812 like fetch? Like people just try to keep making it happen and it's not happening?
0: Here's the thing. Is it happening? it's happening for me after this book. Like I'm, I'm going to be completely serious where like this has actually done what it's supposed to do, which has really kind of like ignite an interest for me. Can I be a ship girl? I'm not sure.
1: I mean, see, that's the thing to me. And like, I don't even want to get into this, but I have such a pet interest in reading about stories set in maritime moments in the early 19th century. Like I read all of Horatio Hornblower I love master and commander. Like, I love to imagine what life would have been like on those ships. I never would have wanted to actually do it, but I'm so fascinated by kind of ships in this period as like a third space where other things are possible, like, whether it's how people understand gender. Like, there are many newspaper articles of like exposes where they would find someone who identified as a woman who had lived as a man so she could be like a shipman her whole career and then retired to Massachusetts, the person I'm thinking of in the 1920s and was like, yeah, I did that. And then dressed and lived as a woman in her retirement. was like, yeah, that was good for me. But it's like, there's just so much that opens up to you if you take this on as a subject matter or of 1812. I still need to like excite my fire about this. I do think something that's interesting about it. If you love history is that it opens up the possibility to really value and situate yourself with like local histories, because I feel like depending on where you're situated, the War of 1812 looks really different, I imagine
0: yeah, and that really played into the author's decision to put Caroline where she is, right? Like there this was a very strategic decision. And Kathleen Ernst explains she has a really wonderful blog where she talks about not only how she got into American Girl from other work that she had been doing, but she also explains why she chose to situate her in a real place because much kind of like her own like foremothers and predecessors, Val. She wanted people to be able to go and see the places where these things happen. And so she chose a place that had really good preservation. Hmm. Do I think Carolyn should have been on the USS Constitution? I do. No question. That's a bias. That's on me. I've told this story before. I don't care. I've touched one of like the original, original parts of old Ironsides. That's what I like to call it. That's kind of like a pet name that I have for the ship. You know, it's like not known to everybody. but. It was actually really special because I got to go on a special tour with one of the people who is actually stationed there to work. That is part of his service to his country today that he does that. And it's caring for this ship and kind of telling this story. Now, by contrast, here's what they have to say about like the moment that we're dropped into The war begins with a poorly coordinated, three-pronged U.S. invasion of Canada by badly trained and poorly led American forces. Fails on all three fronts. Listen, like, I feel like the worst day of my life hasn't been described that colorfully.
1: I mean, fair. I mean, yeah, that's true.
0: Like, is this war a spork where all three fingers break? It's like three-pronged three failures. Well, before,
1: when you said something about neutral, I was like, is neutral the word that we, we have to use for war of 1812 or, or like impasse or,
0: you know, stalemate? No, I mean, I think part of what, you know, again, like taking that, like zoom out, am I part of this historian community? Not yet. Will I ever be? I don't know. I don't know. Like, I mean, we'll see, but part of what's interesting is like, We look at all these different ways that these imperial powers are coming into contact with each other in like these very violent ways. And I also think unless you live in a certain kind of community, the maritime history of where you're from was probably never really given as much credence or as much weight as other kinds of histories. Like, I think that is also true of the Civil War when you tore a ship that was part of something to have to do with the civil war, you kind of walk away with this different impression of what it was like. And then you turn on the television or you thumb through books about the civil war and like you're right back on land.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true.
0: Yeah. Hmm. So like what happens in this book? Like I, don't want to dwell too much on the carpet because I could spend hours talking about this. But like, what's your read of how the family reacts to these two family members being gone?
1: Um, you know the expression, "Your ca- like chaos is my comfort." That's <laughs> yeah, what happens here. But yeah. Before we get into that, and I will give my version of what I believe happens in this book. Um, what? How did the author get into American Girl? You mentioned that, but I would love to know like how that actually happened.
0: So I love this for her. She worked in living history and she was an educator at a museum. And I think that's a really cool perspective. And the way that she got into American Girl is she essentially was doing fact checking through her day job. They would call her up and call up different people where she was working in the Midwest and she would answer questions for them. Hmm. And she mentions this one anecdote on her website about a kerosene lamp. And she's giving them kind of the real texture behind the stories. And I, I really have to say, I think that comes through in her writing. You really do feel this sense of period and of place. And she ends up kind of pitching herself. Like, I want to say, like, she kind of has some Caroline energy on her own, which is that these opportunities start to come up where these same contacts who are asking for information then start to float that they are writing mystery series. And if you are a longtime reader of different American Girl books, Kathleen Ernst actually starts by writing a mystery that's very closely related to her place of work in the Midwest. And she's a published author of adults and all different kinds of books. But she ends up getting kind of the play to write Caroline because of that experience that she had with American Girl. Hmm.
1: Wow. That's such a cool path to get involved with American girl. That's neat.
0: It's also like, she directly cites kind of like the way that her work, she would meet young girls who were inspired by Kirsten to go to historic sites. So like, is this whole thing with the ship just like an elaborate homage? I don't know. Like, I can't say like, I don't know if there's like Marta buried in here somewhere. I, I, can't speculate that far. But I think it's really cool that an educator who saw the impact of this real like firsthand. Like I don't want to say is Kathleen us and we're Kathleen. I you know what I mean like okay. The mirror has two faces. I don't know, but I think that's really awesome that she saw the impact of this series and, like, was an adult, right? But, like, a working person. And that really kind of turned her on to what American Girl could do. And then I also think it's like a very American Girl move to say, and I want to be part of this. Like, I can play a role in turning a corner with this series as well.
1: Yeah, that's so awesome. Like, so inspirational. Like, when do we get our phone call to write for American Girl?
0: I'm not sure that we will. However, like if someone needs someone to be standing in front of a spinning frame, I'm there. Like, could we have an American girl in a position of bibliotherapy practitioner? I think yes.
1: Oh my God. Wow. That would be so inspirational. Like I'm ready. I'm, I'm sitting by my phone. Like, you know, have we said too much at this point? I don't know, but I'm
0: here. I think you could easily invent like a woman who like has like a sidekick and they're pushing around a library book cart. Oh my God. And then they like practice
1: bibliotherapy without a license. And maybe some people are harmed, but we learned some lessons along the
0: way. I think it's possible. Listen, Caroline sees a crisis, has brand new carpeting. And when she learns that that carpeting might be just, here's what I'm going to say about this also this is a story about government contractors failing. Yep. 100%. And if you think it's not like, I do feel like Kathleen Ernst like had the news on and like, I do feel like she was a little bit inspired by Occupy wall street. I'm choosing that for her. Like I yes. won't be deterred from that narrative. I feel like those anti-war protests inspired her. And she said, like, I'm going to write a girl who imagines herself not in a militaristic way, but like captain of her own ship and who has to step up because the cannonballs are literally the wrong size. Like somewhere like there was a news story about Lockheed Martin that ignited this for her. I believe that in my spirit, like you,
1: there's no possible way that you can walk away from this plotline and be like, Kathleen worked, had some point worked in a procurement department. She's worked in a large bureaucracy yeah. where supply and demand was like fraught and tense. And that somebody was constantly ordering the wrong toner for the copy machine. Like, and she was like, you know what? I'm filing this away. This is going to come back. And, you know, the concept of red tape was invented in the Civil War, but you wouldn't believe it if you read this book because it feels like it's fresh and it's of the War of 1812. The fact that they got cannonballs that were too small. So like, here's what goes down. You know, grandma's just laid out, reminded all of us in a form of non-Catholic guilt that her husband has died in the revolution and therefore like the mom is like my dad's dead. My husband's in jail. Like my nephew is with him. I'm not taking no for an answer. So she takes over the business. And of course we forgot this scene. There's a real, like there's a, an American Naval officer based on a real person, which is interesting who comes barging in her office and is like, yeah. Um, can I talk to your husband? And she was like, Oh my God, you heard he's in like prison. He was taken by the British. What's your plan. How are you going to save him? And he was like, Ooh, no didn't know that don't have a plan for that I am here because I know he owns a shipyard and like we are at war with Britain not sure if you know we need to, we need a gunboat or six like your thoughts on that do you and like also without any knowledge if anyone there has the expertise or knowledge to build a gunboat which to me is different than what, we've seen described as being in construction there. She's like, no problem. Have your people call my people. Like, where's your lawyer? Drop the contracts. Thank you. And it's like, she gets like deep girl boss in a way that where it's like, maybe you should have asked a few more questions. I, I think don't know. She more- trusts Hosea. Like I She's think like, she Hosea, knows. figure it out. She's like, I trust you. And even though she was like, um, Caroline, where does dad keep the books? Thank you. Like, I was just like, oh my God, I'm so nervous right now. What's going to happen? So, on the one hand, she's like, hey, we're profiteering, like, always be selling. Yes, we can make you a gunboat. But then it's like two seconds later, Caroline's back at home with grandma, supposedly like helping around the house. She's like, oh my God, my rug was delivered. This is beautiful. And Mrs. Shaw is like throwing shade at her and she's like, whatever, I have my rug to keep me warm, like, don't care. And then we hear a gun, we hear a cannon shot calling the militia because the British are coming. And then like we have ringing in our ears, Mrs. Shaw's words that her husband's in the militia and he doesn't know what they're going to do because they were given cannonball that were too small for the cannon. And basically somehow it falls to grandma and Caroline of this entire town of people. We are down to Caroline and grandma to figure out how to wrap the cannonballs so that they will fit in the cannon and fire effectively. And long story short, people are throwing all kinds of stuff at these cannonballs. And Caroline, in a true moment of self-sacrifice, is like, I will dedicate
0: my rug to the War of 1812 effort. Thank you. I'm just going to say this. Dolly Madison made sure that people rushed back into like a pretty bad war of 1812 situation to like save the art. Caroline is willing to sacrifice her favorite thing for the war. Yeah. I know that's hard to hear, but I think it's an important contrast. It's an important contrast, but I want to put this to you. I think this
1: is actually an origin story from which Dolly drew because Dolly entrusted others to save that portrait in 1814. We're in 1812. So, I mean, you're telling me this wasn't picked up in a, a colonial newspaper, which was then circulated because they all stole each other's content, makes its way to DC. Dolly reads it and is like, hmm, wow. That girl was able to donate her favorite possession on planet Earth, so far as I know. Okay, I'm going to file that away.
0: We also have a really cool moment here where I like how three-dimensional the characters are for me, like, in my mind, because I knew right away I was going to like Mrs. Shaw. Like, there's a busybody neighbor in every book, and I'm like, you're it for me there's this really cool moment where Caroline describes what's happening as being like a dance where everyone seems to know the steps. And, and really she's having in some ways like a response to trauma where things seem normal and they're probably slowed down, but people seem to know what to do. Mrs. Shaw out of nowhere, drive them off boys. Like she is out there as a hype woman. Like she's the elderly neighbor she's living. And she's out it. there. And I really love though, the way that this is a kind of interesting Intergenerational knowledge transfer, because we have those in all of the books where it's like grandmas get it done. Like grandmas are always present at the right time. And then we have this really tender moment. Mrs. Shaw held Caroline's hand all the way home. Caroline didn't mind a bit. So we have this interesting perspective on her of like, she is kind of tough, right? Like she thinks women should be a certain thing, but we also see this important tenderness in her and we value her, right? Like we get this full perspective that she does really have good intentions for this girl.
1: Yes. And I also like the moment with grandma where basically Caroline is like, "Are weren't you scared when you helped grandpa and his men on the battlefield? And she, cause she brought them water or something. And she was like, I didn't really know to be scared until after it was over. So I didn't feel it at the time. Cause I was just doing what needed to be done. So it was kind of like, you know, yes, there's some performative stoicism there, but I also think it's nice that you know, grandma is dropping down and allowing Caroline to know her and through the memory of her as a younger person experiencing something kind of comparable. I thought that was nice. And it's kind of like a world of women. Like we think about wars, it's like male enterprise, but actually there's like not very men in the last half, very few men in the last half of the book.
0: No. And to your point, when the gentleman who is based on a real person comes to the door, he's like, what do you think? Like do like he's acting as if there's like a war menu and he's come to Mrs. Abbott to select like the right kinds of ships and someone ordered the wrong cannonballs. I, I did think it was interesting that in the peak into the past, we stay very tightly focused on the war of 1812. And I think in future episodes, we can kind of, you know, like Caroline spin out a little bit more like other interesting things of the early 19th century. But I think to ensure that the brand could keep growing, they're like, no, we're literally doing 1812. (laughs) We are doing 1812.
1: I love that she's wearing an empire waist dress on the cover of the book. She's like, I am here. I am in 1812. But something that I want to explore too is sort of like a generational history. Like what happens to the folks who are young during the American revolution? Cause that's also kind of what this book is like Mrs. Shaw and grandma are like, Hey, we've seen this before. And you know, it's a different, story for them, but it kind of does make me think what happens to the people who live through the American Revolution? What does that mean to them as they continue through their life
0: cycle? It's also interesting that the way it's kind of framed is that like people were really heavily reliant on water, right? Like water being this kind of primary way that things are transported. And I just read a novel where this was a major uh, plot point, but this whole notion too, of like so much of our world still runs on maritime commerce, but shipping containers are hidden from most people. Um, I did also learn that our author is from Baltimore, Maryland, which I think is important. I'm treading lightly because I think Kathleen is kind of, One of us, and I do kind of want her to be our friend. So I didn't dive too deep, but she has an interesting connection where she talks in her bio that she's like from the place where Francis Scott Key was inspired. So it's like she gets it. Wow.
1: I wonder how many people actually refer to Baltimore as the place that's inspired Francis Scott Key of like everything that you could use to describe it at work. Somebody was like saying they're from Baltimore, and every time they say that, they're like, yeah, that's like from the wire, right? the person's like, yes, but it's also a lot more than that.
0: It's cool. To me, it's an important location in the Adnan Syed story, which is still not complete. Is he not? He's still in, in custody? He is. He is still imprisoned as we speak today. Speaking of current news, and these two stories are not comparable at all. I do just want to say that while you would not think that this book had anything to do with the HBO show, The White Lotus, I'm going to make a case that it does, because I think that show had really interesting things to say about kind of island life and imperialism. And there's like a central plot line about a white guy getting on a boat where he doesn't belong. And I'm just like, that's all I'm going to say because there are spoilers beyond that. But I think like a lot of these stories still ripple into our present, right? Like we wouldn't think of ourselves as being in trade wars today. Instead, I think like we're often sold ideology because people don't just expect to learn on a ship that we're suddenly at war. But the way that this is presented kind of, um, you know, as Mr. Madison's war, it really did actually remind me of the way that people talked, I think, rightfully about the Bushes' wars, right? Because proper Mm. procedure was not actually followed to wage those wars. And that kind of similarity did take me aback. I know I started with White Lotus and we ended (laughs) back in the Middle East again, but, you know, I think that's just kind of where we are.
1: I think that's fair. And there's also a character in White Lotus who could be a cipher for a Bush son, like in terms of like a privileged guy who relies on a strong matriarch, not unlike Barbara Bush,
0: although is played by Molly Shannon, who is quite different. She's quite different. Maybe Molly Shannon will be Kathleen Ernst in the biopic that we're invited to consult on. I don't know.
1: Oh my god, it's like the story of the story. That's our screenplay. Is like Kathleen. Like, how are you inspired to write this series? The kind of like Laurel Thatcher Ulrich in the Midway scale documentary.
0: Like, how do we fit into it? You don't have to answer that right away, Kathleen. That's fine. We're
1: cool with it. I mean, I think how I want to be in it is like, you just see my hands like flipping through a fake diary, like Laurel Thatcher Ulrich's hands in a a midwife's tale. She was like,
0: yeah, I just kept reading the diary. Honestly, usually we have a lot of different reading recommendations It is going to take years for me to fully process the amount of things people have told me to read about the War of 1812, but I'm going to start a kind of little book list because I think there is like a lot to be learned about this time, and we're going to keep digging into 2012 because that's the moment here. Bicentennial, babes, you know what I mean?
1: I mean, I can't wait, but also I'm scared about like what kind of weirdness is going to accompany the Bicentennial, but we're, you know, we will live through that.
0: This is really just prepped for 2026. Damn.
1: I can't wait. Oh my God. Well, I kind of can, but I can't. Wow. This is such a good start to this series. I'm very encouraged. I love this book. I can't wait to see where we're going. You know, dad's still in jail. I think we're going to have to get him out in some capacity and I'm waiting to see how that's
0: going to play out. There's some secret notes in book two. I don't want to say any more than that, but I did read a little preview. So we are going to have some kind of like secret correspondence happening. And I, I want to expect good things for Caroline. Do I think she would be captain of her own ship? I don't know, but not yet. I read true confessions of Charlotte Doyle. You don't know. Oh my God. That's the thing. I was thinking about that reading this book. That was a classic. There's something right. about like a 1990s, early 2000s girl with beautiful hair mysteriously standing on a ship where all of her ringlets and hair are still in perfect formation. Yes. And she's holding on to rope that would definitely be scratching her hands. But I'm really happy for her. There are no flyaways on her hair. No. She's on the deck of a ship. No. N- zero flyaways. Would I wear this outfit? Yeah. Was I right before we recorded watching a fashion show that took place in South Carolina, where a girl dressed up as Caroline brought out a Caroline doll and then gave tips on how to tell starboard from other points on the ship. Yes. I didn't absorb everything she said to me in this fashion show, but she crushed it.
1: The only Naval language I've ever allowed myself to retain is from Philadelphia story. And I just, I will openly tell any vessel that I'm on. Like say of it my she was yar and like do i know what that means <laughs> no it means like it was beautiful that's what i take it to me oh. from context <laughs> i don't think it does where she was like my she was yar and i'm like okay i mean i take it to be a good thing so yeah. that's just what i say
0: look what your friend considers a wedding present why it's a model of the true love what a boat he designed and built practically. We sailed her down the coast of Maine and back for the summer we were married. My, she was Yar. Yar? What's that mean? It means, uh, oh, what does it mean? Easy to handle, quick to the helm, fast, bright. Everything a boat should be. Until she develops dry rot.
1: She was Yar. People are like, these are paddle boats. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm not Katherine Hepburn.
0: I don't have that kind of budget. If I come in a seaman's outfit for our next recording, what will you do?
1: I would love that. I was thinking like, I want to like, that is my aesthetic. Like, I don't want to dress like Caroline. I want, I want sailor suit.
0: Okay. So you can be Oliver. I'll be Caroline. I am hot on the case of a local Caroline for sale. And I was like, I will come to you. It doesn't matter. And I was like, I'm totally not in a rush. Listener. I am in a rush. Like there's a time crunch. Caroline, we'll talk about this more in subsequent episodes. Caroline was never on the market for very long. That's all I'll say. That feels like a crime.
1: We'll have to explore that. I don't like that. No. Wow. Call me Caroline. That's the version of Moby Dick I want to read.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, a bit of a U-turn, but if you are interested in kind of other things of this moment, including Lisa Frank, we hope that you will join us on our Patreon where we will be kind of, I would say like charting courses all over the place for the rest of the fall. But starting with the kind of obsession that we had with Lisa Frank and other kind of colorful things. I think Lisa Frank could imagine a girl or like, frankly, a panda commanding their own naval warship. So if that kind of spirit speaks to you, like there is a place for you and it's on our Patreon. It is such a
1: hopping spot and the discord community there is so fun. Like we have channels about all kinds of stuff, all kinds of topics, like um, TV, music, um, parenting, people who work in educational spaces. We have meetup groups for all over the country where people can find IRL friends and have hangouts with their listeners that are safe and in public places. We hope we have not been invited to a hangout yet, but we're hoping that's coming. Um, and maybe we'll go on tour someday, who knows, but, um yeah it's a really exciting place so please check it out and there's also a channel where you can make your own suggestions for future Patreon episodes and we do look at that all the time.
0: Yes. So if you're interested in joining that community, you can also look for us on social media. We're a Girls Pod on Twitter, where we're breaking into the War of 1812 Twitter verse. We're also on Instagram with American Girls Podcast. And we want to really especially thank a woman named Rebecca, who has been interning with us all summer. We'll be sure to drop her handle if you want to follow and support her work. She does really fascinating and funny commentary on feminism and women's history at she wears the pants and she has done amazing work for the podcast this year.
1: Some might say life-changing. And honestly, we had no idea that so many people wanted to intern with the show. We did get some other offers and we are thinking about kind of like a more formal process or program for that. So if that interests you, stay tuned and we'll release some info about that at some point. So Allison, if people want to get in touch with you, if they have other
0: Caroline leads for you, where might they find you? Yeah. So I'm at Master and Commander 1812 on Twitter. No, I'm Allison Horrocks on Twitter and Instagram. And Mary, where should people find you? You know, if you want to
1: talk about the Master and Commander soundtrack with me, I will do that all day at Mimi Mahoney on Instagram or at Mary Mahoney 123 on Twitter. All right, everyone. Thank you. And we'll see you on our next episode. (small) I'll <small> see you